so tonight we're gonna we're gonna jump out of Isaiah for just a little bit and we're gonna look at the judgment thrones because in the end of Isaiah chapter 24 it, it tells us that the, he he gives the part he says it shall come to pass and that day the Lord shall punish the hosts of the high ones that are on high and the kings upon the earth. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in a pit and shall be shut up in prison after many days they shall be visited. So here we see that the, the talk of judgment. Now Isaiah doesn't really get into the judgment as much as the rest of the different places in the Bible. So I want to look at the judgment that, that's coming. Now in Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to be jumping around in the Bible a good bit tonight. So uh, just just hang on. If you can catch, catch up, catch up. But Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die. But who knows what the rest of that says? After that, the judgment. So, it, so basically what the book of Hebrews says, everybody is going to be judged. Now, we know that different places the Bible talks about judgment, so I want to look at that tonight as we get started. We'll do prayer requests at the end of the service tonight, but we'll go ahead and jump on into this. The Greek, like the English word, uses judge in two senses. In one sense, it's, it's condemnation, but also in another sense, they use it to be handing out rewards. Uh, but there's many places in the Bible that speak of Christ's return and handing out rewards. So you've got two different types of judgments that are mismentioned. Here in Isaiah, we see where he talks about all these people are put together and put in the pit, which is basically, you know, gathered in hell there. So we're going to look at this. I want to look at it tonight. We're going to look at the two different ones. So the first one I figured, let's do the good one to start with. Amen. And before we jump into the bad, we've covered the Bible when we covered the book of Revelation. And, of course, this is in Revelation chapter 20, and it's the great white throne judgment. It's the one that uh, you better hope, pray you're not there. The best way to be sure you're not there is to be saved because that's the one for the lost. Now, the, but if you go by Hebrews 9, 27, it says, uh, is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So it does tell us we're all going to be judged. Now, the Bible speaks of a, a, a special judgment that God's going to hold for basically believers only. And it, it's known to us as the judgment seat of Christ. Or uh, Paul's, uh, a couple commentators say that the judgment seat of God, but really one and the same there. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, is where we're going to find this. And it tells us, or chapter 5, verse 10, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. And it says, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So Paul says basically that he's talking to the church. And he says, church, we're all going to appear before Christ. And we're going to be judged of the things that we've done in our body, whether it's good or bad. Now, so if you read that, you know, some people think that all believers are going to stand for judge and be judged individually. And I do believe that's the way it's going to happen. Listen to this. In Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, Paul wrote this. He says, But why do thou judge thy brother? Or 
Why dost thou set apart not by thy brother? For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so that then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, if you think about that as a believer, that's a scary thought. We're going to stand before Christ, him in a judgment seat, and we're going to give account of everything we've done. And if we look at the other verse, it said whether it's good or bad. You know, I'm not looking forward to that day because I think I'll be up there with the bad side a whole lot more than the good side. You know, so we look at who's going to be judged. Of course, this is only for the church. And it does not include the Old Testament saints. This is basically going to be for the church. And the Bible says that God's going to reward our actions as believers. That's one good thing. I mean, you know, you ever think about how much you're going to get? Uh, you, you remember the parable where, where he gives the, the the parable of the he gives the the coins to the people, and each one of them's given a different amount. And of course, you got that one that buried it, but each one of them gets a little bit different. And Psalm sixty two twelve says, "Unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renders every man according to his works." So this is not just a New Testament thing. This was mentioned in the Old Testament that God gives everybody according to their works. Now, Jesus said of this, he said in Matthew 16, 27, he said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, then he shall reward every man according to his works. So, you know, there's a lot of people who say works are not important. You think, we're not saved by our works, are we? But what's the one thing that's going to happen by our works we're you know we're going to get our crowns we're going to be judged according to our works uh uh was talking to a, a guy this past week and we were talking about works he says you know one of the things that that got him he says he knows a lot of people who you know because by faith are you saved not of works at least you boast he says so he says i know a lot of people who take that verse and take it wrong and they think i can just come and sit and not do nothing but according to the verses in the Bible, you realize that God's going to judge you and reward you according to your works. Now, if Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8, he said this. He says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So even Paul talks about the same thing Christ talked about. Everybody's going to be given something for it. Now, question is, when is this going to happen? When do you think it happens? Anybody? Well, it, it all depends. Uh, some look at it different way. The, the thousand year reign, we know is when the, at the end of it, is when the great white throne judgment is going to take place. But when will the Christians be judged? After the rapture, it'd be a more accurate look at because we know that during the thousand year reign, Christ is here. But during the tribulation period is when the marriage feast of the Lamb takes place. And so...
Yes and no. Because at the great white throne of judgment, it tells us that he who said is basically the description is Jesus Christ. This will be the time that every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to confess that Christ is Lord. Uh, some people say, yes, it's God the Father. Then some people say, no, it's Jesus. And it, it, it makes it, I think, in Revelation a little more, and we get into that one, you'll see it's a little more clear that it's Christ that's going to judge them because if their name's not found in the Lamb's book of life, right, then they get that, that judgment that they, they deserve. Right. Because our sin was paid for and taken, already cared and done away with at the cross. So that part's taken care of. When we stand before Christ, it's not your sins that are judged, but your works are your lack thereof. Because remember, he says, I'm coming, I have my reward with me. So 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul wrote this. He says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, which means dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Christ, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which are asleep, and Jesus will he bring with them. For this we shall say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He said, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we be ever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So Paul says, Basically, if you listen to this, you realize that, yes, we're all going to heaven with Christ. And this is the time, this is what the rapture is based off of, these verses here. The calling away, the lifting up, stepping out, calling the church. Because we realize that when he steps onto the earth, that will begin his millennial reign. That won't happen till the end of the tribulation period, which... Some people try to say the church is going through the tribulation period, but it's not mentioned in the tribulation period. We're mentioned in the marriage feast. So that's when it happens. We're not judged for sin. Psalms 103 verses 10 and 12 says this, For he has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is this mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So here in the psalm, we see that our sins are already taken care of. When was our sin taken care of? On the cross. So that price, we're not judged. Aren't you glad that, how many of you have ever seen or heard the thing, well, when you get to heaven... You stand outside the pearly gates. St. Peter opens the books and sees if your name's there. And, you know, you think there's nowhere in the Bible that tells us that, but that has become a belief among people. And so here's what basically they're saying. You die, you go up to heaven, you get almost there, and you're judged whether or not you were good enough. That's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches us that basically when you die, Paul said to be absent with the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. 
He didn't say to be absent with the body is to go stand in line and wait for St. Peter to read your name. And either you go in or you go out. Yes and no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're the ones outside the gate. Because <laughs> when you, we read about the great white throne, and you see where he's at, everything's gone. Because it tells us the heavens and the earth have melted away. And they stand before the Lord. And this is the last reminder. One, they have nothing to hide behind. They're judged on what everybody wants to be judged on is their works. It, it tells us all, all we know is that Christ is on the throne. So it could be. Yeah. I, that, that is one of those gray areas. We, it, it almost makes it known like we're going to be there seeing it, but we're not really sure. That don't really tell us as much. You know, uh, the only, only thing we know for sure is that, that what the outcome is. You know, with the death of Christ on the cross, the, des- the, the destiny of Christians have been once and all settled. You know, there's no condemnation for those who believe in Christ. Remember what Paul wrote, Romans 8, 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those which are in Jesus Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So when Paul wrote that, he's saying basically all your sins are paid for. You don't have to worry about being judged for those because there's no condemnation. You know, uh, what? Uh, remember John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he came... Excuse me. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, I don't know what that was, but that didn't taste good. But he so. But then he goes into the next verse, seventeen. Says, "Lord, did not Jesus not come to condemn the world? So there's no condemnation in our sins." Now, in John five twenty four, he Jesus says, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my world word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life." So the curse has been removed. The price has been paid. And so then we see, as uh, Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, he says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body to the tree, that we being dead in sin should live under righteousness, but whose stripes ye were healed. So that's the sin offering. So that's taken care of. Now, when we get there, God's handing out rewards. You know, the judgment seat is designed not to punish us, but rather to reward. And, and we know, uh, we, we take a few things for granted. And the, part of the reason why in Revelation it talks about them taking their crowns and laying the crowns at Christ's feet. It doesn't ever really say that the believers are the ones that does it. It says that the 24 that are there do it. So it, it must be something that's done. So that's where we get the idea of laying our crowns at Jesus' feet. But, you know, all of us are going to give an account of what we've done after trusting Christ as a Savior. Therefore, the judgment seat of Christ is a believer of works after salvation. Paul gives us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 13. He says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, 
as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and other buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. He says, in verse 13, he says, Every man's works shall be made manifest, for as the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's works of what sort it is. So we see that Paul talked about it building on a foundation. And then he goes a little further down, and he, he talks about that everything you do is going to be tried by fire. What happens if you burn something? If I was to set this piece of paper on fire, which I'm not going to, uh, what would happen to it? It would turn to ash. Uh, what would happen, though, if I took a piece of metal and put it in a fire? It would glow, and as Jay said, it would get purified. So there's a difference. And here's the difference in our works. Have you ever done something and never got any recognition for it? I know that's probably not the way to say that word. Recognition. Recognition, yeah. Recognition for it. You ever had that happen to you? Well, as Christians, that's kind of what we'll be rewarded. Sometimes we get our rewards here. You get, hey, good job. Or, or that. And I don't think that's what we're judged on because there are times we get rewarded for the service we do to God here amongst everyone. But it's those things that you don't realize you do. Those things that you do, and, and, and maybe you do them just because, hey, God's called me to do it, or I, I do it, and I'm not looking for somebody to go, hey, good job, way to go, and you never know it. How many people have you won that you don't even know? You, you think about this. How many people, just because you say, I go to Chihaw Baptist, or I go to church, and you've been doing it all your life, have watched you and never told you, I'm watching you. And they say, hey, you, you don't realize what you've done for me. I had, I had a, a friend that we grew up together, and uh, when I was younger, we, we hung out. We were never really that great of friends. We more or less were acquaintances. I'll, I'll never forget one day, I hadn't seen him. I've been married to Julie for a long time. Uh, I didn't hang out with none of the people from my past. I really didn't want to. And I get a message on Facebook from this guy. And he says, I just want you to know something. He said, you were very instrumental in my salvation. And I'm like, say what? I never shared the gospel with him. I never talked to him. I don't even think as a kid I ever went to church with the guy. He said, I watched you when you were going to church. I saw how you stayed true to your walk. And he said, that always stuck with me. And he says, it had me a desire when I got older to go to church. He said, I just wanted you to know that. And way well, I wished he never would have told me. But you never know who watches you. So sometimes the, the works that we get that will pass through the fire is, have you already received praise for it? Have you already received your reward? There'll be a lot of people 
who I think are going to get to heaven and say, man, I'm going to have some crowns. I'm going to have, because, you know, Paul talks about crowns. I'm going to have this, and they're going to go, well, no, you've already gotten your reward. And there's going to be a lot of people, I think, they are going to get there and go, Lord, I wished I could have done more and not realize what they've done for Jesus. Because when it goes through the fire of the Holy Spirit, he's going to determine, yes, this is the reason why. What was the motivation behind what you do for Christ? That's a good way to look at it. What, what's the reason why you serve the Lord? How many of you have ever been in this boat? I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand. I do it because nobody else will. I do it because nobody else will. Yeah. Hey, there's two of us. <laughs> you, you think about it, sometimes that's the reason why we do things. And is that really serving the Lord or is it just like, well, no, ain't nobody else going to do it. I guess I will. Sometimes it, it's our heart is the reason why. Now, the judgment seat he talks about, it's known as, how many of you have heard the word, the Bema seat? And, and it, it, it it's... Basically, the word Bema is also translated or court seat. In John 19, 13, when Pilate is uh, basically judging Christ, he's been brought before him. He, he sat down in the seat of judgment in a, the, the place that's called the pavement. But in Hebrew, it's, if I can pronounce this, Gabbatha. G-A-B-B-A-T-H-A. And basically, it means the Bema seat. In Acts chapter 25, 22, when Agrippa's talking to Felix, and he, 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 they're talking about Paul, and he says, I would hear the man myself tomorrow. It's a private judgment seat. So you've got a seat where you hear, and that's the same. It's two different words in the Old Testament, but they both translate into Bema seat. So the Bema seat is a, a tribunal seat for rewards and judgment. In Olympic arenas, there was an elevated seat on which the judge of the contest sat. Let me read this to you. It says, After the contest were over, successful competitors would assemble before the Bema to receive their rewards. Or, well, what were their rewards? Does anybody know? They got a crown. You know, so they were given crowns. The Bema was not the judicial seat where somebody was condemned, but it was one where you were judged for the works that you have done. Christ was judged and by Pilate and his Bema seat, it was the tribunal seat, but that was also the place where he handed out rewards to his soldiers. They just drug Christ there to it. So if you think, so will everybody receive a crown? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think about it. Yeah, what, what's his works? If anybody, you know, get, gets into heaven by the by the by by the skin of their teeth, it's the the thief on the cross. Because think, I I love his story because here's a guy right before he gets 
saved, he's cursing Jesus, just like everybody else did. But something happened that made him wake up. And you think in that simple little prayer he prayed, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That lets you know it doesn't matter what you say, it's the condition of the heart. And Christ said, today, not, not later, you'll be with me in paradise. So like you said, what was his reward? Hey, he got in. <laughs> That's reward enough right there. Now, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 15, every man's work, listen to what it says, if any man's works shall be burned, remember what I said about it passing through fire, in 13, in 15, he says, if any man works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. So Christ is tell, Paul's telling us that when we get there, we might not get nothing because of the motivation behind our works as Christians. So it's not like, hey, everybody's going to just get tons of crowns that we're going to pile at Christ's feet. We're going to be judged. And can you imagine, though, what it would be like to stand before Christ with a handful of ashes instead of a handful of crowns or something because of your motivation as a Christian? You're, it's not that you're lost, but you have nothing to show for a life. You know, uh, you know, you you think God uses fire for judgment a lot. One of the first places we ever see Him use fire for judgment is in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, so if, if He He uses fire for a lot, don't He? Our works are going to pass through fire. Sin snuffed out by fire. He said his description in Revelation, his head and his hairs were like white wool, white as snow. His eyes were as the flame of fire. So think of this. If you read that verse and you read that, to go back to Paul's verses about standing before them with your works in your hands and they go, they either get burned up. So what it amounts to, you've got a piercing gaze of a Savior who's looking at you and this Savior who knows everything about you, your intentions, your thoughts, even the number of hairs on your head is judging you for your works. Yeah. Then you go back to Revelation where it says that God shall wipe away every tear. I, I, I realize I often used to wonder why, and we use that verse a lot to, to remind people who've gone through sicknesses and lost loved ones that God takes care of us. But sometimes I think of that verse as the reason why that's there is to remind us as I stand before my loving Savior who's done everything for me and I didn't do nothing for him. I'm going to break down and cry. And he's going to wipe away the tears. He's going to say, it's okay, you're saved. Like the thief on the cross that, that, that Daryl mentioned. What has he got to stand before Christ with? Other than being really the first convert, you know, if you think about it, uh, he didn't have nothing. But 
I've wondered about that too. Who else heard those words? Who else lives was touched by that? Because here you got Christ on a cross and here's this man who just just right before was cussing him and, and hollering at him, railing on him, and he forgives him. And I guarantee you there had to become a, a look of peace on his face even though he's in torment. Yeah. So sometimes we don't realize what we do. You know, uh, oh, now, now listen to this. We, we stand before the Lord and we won't appear without shame. 1 John 2, 28 says this. says, Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We're warned as Christians with his word how we should act. Abide in him so that you can stand before him with confidence. Now think about this. The Bible tells us right now we can go before him in his throne with what? With boldness. You know, and, and so we have that ability to have confidence. Now, Listen to this. this. This one's good. In 2 John, verse 8, John wrote this. He says, Look to yourself that we lose not those things which we wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So it's possible for us to go to heaven and get a full reward, but it's something we've got to, as Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's something you have to do. He didn't just say, hey, you're saved. Good for you. He said, work it out. John says, you know, look to yourselves. Now, the scripture does tell us and warns us as Christians, we can lose our reward, but it never tells us we lose our salvation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast to that which thou hast, that no man may take thy, does anybody know what it says? Crown, so that nobody can get your reward. Hold fast to it. You know, this is a loss of reward. It's not a loss of salvation. Some will say, well, that says that you're going to lose your reward. Your reward salvation. No, the gift was salvation. The reward is what we get for our works. Get more serious. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I I was saved when I was young. Have I always walked with Jesus? No. I've learned more, you know, as I've gotten. How many of you are, are closer to the Lord or know more about the Lord now than you did years ago? You know, you know that's all of us. It, it come. It you know the, the the saying wisdom comes with age. That's so true. The more you. The longer you're a Christian, the more, hopefully, the more wiser you become. And, and we do come closer to it. And, and I, I think about over my life, how many rewards have you lost because of stupidity? Uh, 
Boy, I, I'm glad there's not a, a place where you walk through heaven and Jesus says, see that big warehouse over there? Say, yeah, that was all your lost rewards. <laughs> yeah. See this Coke bottle? Yeah, that still ain't got enough. We got plenty of room in there for yours. So uh, let, me, let me share this illustration with you. It says, uh, let's say you recently bought a, a new two-story house, and while on the second floor, you smell smoke. Looking downstairs, you see the first floor is on fire. You jump out the second-story window to save your life. You then watch your new house burn to the ground. Obviously, you will have mixed emotions. That's kind of an understatement. He says, you're thankful that you were able to jump and to save your life. I got to thinking about that. I said, I don't know if I'd survive the second story jump. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it says, you, but you're sad because your new house is destroyed. This is the similar to those believers who are saved but have nothing to show for it. They squandered their opportunities to live for Christ, yet they are enjoying the benefits of heaven with Jesus. So we, 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 there's, you know, we have to realize it is a, a position of honor to be able to receive the awards at the, the judgment seat. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, he says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. So it's a picture of a, of a wonderful reward, a place of honor, because Christ loves you. Now, let's get to something good here. Let's get to the, the gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So when you listen to that verse, think of what God's got for you. Remember what he said in John chapter 10, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's prepared a lot of things for us. He says, I can't, you can't, nobody can describe it. He says in verse 10, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So it's, God gives us these rewards and we know they're going to happen. He's given us brief glimpses of the things that are in there. We know the crowns that are mentioned throughout the Bible. But think of the other things that you get. Now, we, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is uh, required of stewards that a man be found faithful. So to get the rewards and get the full benefit, you got to be what? you got to be faithful. Now, Jesus spoke of different degrees of rewards. Luke chapter 19. In verse 17, he said unto him, Well, thou good and faithful servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, thou hast authority over ten cities. I like how he puts that in that, that parable. Because you've been faithful over very little, 
I'm going to give you a reward. You're going to be over 10 cities. Now you go down to verse 19 to another one. He said, and he said, likewise unto him, be thou over five. So see, rewards won't be the same. How many people would have trouble with that today when we pass out participation trophies? You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't get a stacker. Yeah, could you be in heaven? Well, I didn't get a crown. I, I can hear that now. So, <laughs> hey, that's going to be a reward in itself, right there. Amen. <laughs> yeah. How many of y'all like to wake up just once and not have any arthritis pains? Anybody? <laughs> Woo, yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of the rewards of being that. Uh, let's look at the crowns. Their, their crown, Paul wrote this. He, he told Paul, Timothy, he said in verse 4 to 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself, the righteous judge, shall give me that day. Not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. When you, you think about this, Paul's saying, I'm going to get a crown of righteousness. But he says, it's not just me, it's everybody who loves his appearing. Who loves his appearing? Christians. So it sounds, you know, Paul's like, they're, they're, one of the, the rewards we get is, is because if we, we truly love his appearing, and I think the difference in loving his appearing and just accepting his appearing is the works that we do. The, the way we react. The way we act. You, you think, uh, Johnny Erickson Sentata is a young lady who, well, she's not young anymore. When she was a young lady, she had a diving accident. She became paralyzed. Completely paralyzed. She's paraplegic. Since then, she's given her life to the Lord. Since then, she has become a dynamic Christian speaker. Now, you think about somebody like that who basically her body does not work. She's confined to a wheelchair. She has one of those pins you use with your mouth to operate it and stuff. But yet, she never gave up serving God. She says, if I would have never gotten hurt, I don't think I would have been the Christian I am today. So we, we see, you, you can't say, well, well, preacher, I can't because of this. I can't because of that. It's what your heart says, you know, to get that crown. You know, we, we know the when it's going to happen. We know how it's going to happen. We don't know all the rewards. But it tells us as believers that we're going to stand before him and give an account. There's not a lot about the judgment seat of Christ. It's not one of the main things that's focused on in the Bible. Why do you think that is? Exactly. You, you think more people are motivated by prizes than anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. If that was the only thing, if the Bible focused more on it, it actually focuses more on the judgment seat of Christ for sinners than it does anything. And the reason why is because he wants them to understand that the thing is, the, the two's different. I'm handing out rewards because how much you love me. Or I'm giving you what you asked for because you rejected me. I think so. That's going to be, I think, the hardest thing. Because, yeah, I think that's where also the... In a way, yes, you can't make their decision. That's that's what one problem a lot of parents have, and it's, it's something we all deal with. If you're a parent, you've dealt with this, or you will deal with this. You raise your children. The Bible tells us we raise them up, and, and they won't part when they're older. But we can't make their decisions because we all have dealt with it. We've all seen kids who've gone astray, and you raised them up in church. You've done your best, but you can't make their decisions. And I think that's one thing that as God says, here he wipes away the tears. I think that, that that is one of the blessings, that is one of the rewards that we will have, is that he'll help us to understand that we, if maybe we didn't try hard enough, and that's going to be a hard thing to stand before him and do. I, I, I think of this, every sermon I preach, every lesson I teach, I will be judged for. There are, pre, there are sermons I preached, nobody got nothing out of it, because I did it all for myself. What's bad is some of the best sermons people tell me I've preached are the ones I think, man, I blew that completely. That was horrible. And, and you asked Julie, I, 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 I'm my worst critic. I don't listen to my own sermons because one, I can't stand the way my voice sounds. And two, I got to thinking, man, I'm horrible. But, I, but you know, it's how I do it. So now we're going to go, everybody turn to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to get into some of Daryl's questions, <laughs> hopefully. And, and let's see what we can come up with, because this is the one. Ours is, 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 is hard to understand. There's not a lot in there for us, but we know it's going to happen. There's crowns mentioned throughout the Bible. I started to go into each one of them, but I didn't want to spend too much time on them. In Revelation chapter 20, we're coming to the end of everything. We're coming to the end of the the thousand-year reign. At the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan's loosed again. We know that there are people during the thousand-year reign who won't accept Christ. Now, can you imagine that? Today, many people say, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just talk to him, I would believe in him. Well, during the thousand-year reign, they had that opportunity. Satan's not there to tempt, but the heart is still 
and men desperately wicked and will choose not to follow Christ. So at the end here, we, we see that, that Satan is, has been bound for a thousand years. He's thrown out. He comes back and, and the end of the world basically takes place. Uh, the lake of fire and brimstone. We're going to pick up in verse 11 of chapter 20. Uh, Satan, I won't back up just a little bit. In verse 10, it says, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be in torment day and night forever and ever. So this judgment is not for Satan, not for his angels. They've already been judged. They're there. This judgment is just for mankind. It says... John said this, he says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. So, see, there, we don't really know where it's at because of this description. Earth's gone, the heaven's gone. It's like this is a, a, just a place. He says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So, when he says, well, in verse 11, where he says, I saw this great white throne, the word great basically has let us know it's the status and power and authority. White is pure, reminds us the purity and the holiness of the one that's sitting on them. And the throne is a kingly sovereign. Think about something today. When you stand before a judge today, what color do they wear? Black. Isn't that a big difference? This one's wearing white. And it says, and him who sat on it. So we got to figure out who it is. Listen to this. In John chapter 5, verses 22 through 27, answers the question is who's on this throne? John said it was God. Here's what he said in there. He said this. He said, for the Father judgeth no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall live. For as the Father have life in him, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. So the Father said, it's Jesus sitting on the throne. Because Jesus has the ability and the authority to judge mankind. Who's gathered at this throne? It says all men. Listen to what it said. I saw the dead, 
small and great. So what he's telling us by small and great is everybody. It's not just a few, it's everybody. Now, he, he tells us there in that first verse, where he tells us the earth fled away uh, and the heavens are, are not there. It says this, many Bible scholars believe that Christians will never appear before this great is because we can't hide from it. No one can. The idea is that we are spared from this awesome throne of judgment because our sins are already judged. And we know that. So will we be there to, as witnesses? We don't know. But when you listen to it, it only sounds like there are only Jesus and those who are being judged. So we, we don't really know. Now, notice something. There is a difference in this trial. Because what does it say in verse 12? I saw the dead and the, the dead, small and great, stand before God. God's given us a kind of a vision of this in our judicial system. When someone has been convicted of a crime, what does the judge make them do? Stand to receive the judgment. You don't sit. So there, this is not a trial. Basically, the decision's already been made. This is just the evidence. They're about to be sentenced. This is a sentencing trial. It's not a let me get out of it trial. Uh, I want to read something to you because here's what a lot of people think. Many think that when they stand before God, I'll tell him a thing or two. All right. How many of you heard of Dear Abby? All right. Dear Abby, this was an article that was written many years ago. Said, Dear Abby, I am troubled with something a reader wrote. What right do we have, mortals, have to demand an explanation from God? Abby, that writer, has never known the gut-wrenching pain of losing a child. God did not answer my prayers. I resent being told that I have no right to question God. If there is a God... And if I ever get to meet him face to face, you can bet your life I'll have plenty of whys to ask for him to answer. I want to know why my little girl died. Why that drunk was allowed to go on living. I love her more than my life and I miss her so. I am mad that I'm having to live in a world where she no longer lives and I want to know why. Why shouldn't I have a right to ask God? Aren't we supposedly created in His image? If so, surely He has a heart and soul capable of hurting just as I am. Why would He not expect to be questioned if He has everything to do with miracles? I don't fear the Lord. I don't fear hell either. I know what hell is like. I've already been there since the day my precious daughter was killed. 
Please sign me a bereaved mother. So here's somebody that says, I want answers. And when you, what would you want, how would you respond to something like that? Yeah, God will answer it. But you think that day there's going to be no criticism of God. Because when you stand before him and you've been judged on your works and everything that you've done, that that's what you want to be judged on, you're going to see that you have no righteousness. You know, no, no goodness that's good enough for God. She'll see her own sins, not demand answers. You know, our prayers for people like this, and it's hard to, when someone comes to you and says things like that, it's hard to answer them. The only thing we can do is that pray that God will get through that hard shell to let them understand. You know, because it said the dead were judged according to their works. Everything that was written in the books. Mount said the issue is not salvation works, but the works are irrefutable evidence man's actual relationship with God. You know, there are degrees of punishment for unbelievers. Let me me read this to you. Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. It says, He began to unbraid the cities wherein most of the mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazan! Woe unto thee, Bethesda! For the mighty works which were done unto thee, and hath been done in Tyre and Sidon, which thou would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Sidon and Tyre at that day of judgment than for you. And thou, Copernicus, which are exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell for the mighty works which thou hast done in thee, and have been done in Sodom it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So Jesus kind of gives us a little picture here that for some people, hell's going to be worse than others. Think about this. Somebody who sat in church their entire life, heard the gospel, but never repented never gave, really gave the Lord their heart. Do you think it would be horribler in hell for them than somebody who lived like a hellion their entire life, knowing they're just reserved or realizing, I blew it? Exactly. Yeah. You, you think it, it can be it can be horrible. Skip through all that. We're going to run out of time if I don't. Well, I might come back to that before it's over with. All right. It goes on a little further in verse 13. It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. So, you know, why does the sea give up its dead? Why did why did John put that in there? 
it's kind of a representation of those who were never buried. You know, the sea was a turmoilish place for the, the, the Jewish people. They were terrified of it. They didn't like it. So for the dead, the sea to give up his dead was a reminder for all those who were never buried, who just perished without the Lord. And so it's just a picture there.